This is Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Kristen Lepianca, and I'm here with Lane Fargo. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. So how are you guys? I am good. Uh, Spring has sprung a little bit in Chicago, although I know it won't last, but I'm enjoying it while it does. (laughs) Yes, same here. And I just got really good book news, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I found out that, Wendy already knows this, but I found out that Target is going to carry the paperback of Temper. It's going to be a Target Recommends selection. Ooh. I'm so proud that my weird gay theater book is going to be in Target stores, you guys. So awesome. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So that's my news. What about y'all? Wendy, what do you got? Well, I found out my release date for my third book. That's exciting. Yay. Yay. It's March 30th of 2021, and it's not anywhere close to freaking Christmas, and I'm very happy about that, because <laughs> my last two books have come out, like, on my daughter's birthday a week from Christmas, so mm. it's stressful, you know, to have everything happen at once, and I'm really excited to just kind of enjoy a release season that isn't with all the other holidays. Also, your books are just not, like, Christmassy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, f- I find them very festive. I think they're really sweet. You could give it to your mom as a Christmas present and be like, this is about people who murder their parents. You could give it to someone's mom as a Christmas present. Maybe your mom, Kristen. She seems cool. <laughs> I think she follows me on Twitter. Yes, she's very cool. I'm sure she's listening to this episode. Hi, mom. Hi, Kristen's mom. <laughs> Hi, Kristen's mom. So my news is that um, just last week, the the book Columbus Noir came out. It is a series. It is a anthology of short stories set in Columbus. Um put out by Akashic Books. They have a really great series called City Noir and there's there's versions of it like set all over the place, all over the world. Some of them are, you know, like Dublin Noir and then there's also some sort of conceptual ones like Prison Noir, which is actually really mm. good one. Um, so we've got Columbus Noir. It's very exciting. Cool. I've got a story in it. Of course. And um, it is not a Roxanne Weary story, but it is set in her neighborhood. Mm. And it was a, a lot of fun to write. It was also very difficult to write. Writing short stories is hard. Yeah, guys. it is. It's like really hard. It's <laughs> so much really easier hard. to write novels. I don't know why that is, but I'm, it is. Yeah, I'm terrified of writing short stories. I'm going to try to write a novella pretty soon. And even that, I'm like, it's not, <laughs> not enough. <laughs> it's like half a novel, though, so it's fine. Um, will there be copies of that for sale at Murder and Mayhem, perchance, Kristen? Oh, you know what? I don't know. That is a... Good question. I okay. should actually look into that because there might be some other contributors besides myself who are going to be at Murder and Mayhem. So that would make sense to have it there. Yes, Kristen and I will be together in Chicago very soon at Murder and Mayhem, which is like one of the most fun crime writing conferences, I think. And Wendy, some one of these days we're going to get you out here. That's right. <laughs> I would love to. That would be awesome. It's one day, which is the perfect length for yes, spending absolutely. time with other people. Yes, it's the perfect length. And it's like a single track programming. So there's not like a million panels going on at once. And so you feel like you're missing the stuff that you wanted to see or whatever. It's it's a good one. Yeah, it's awesome. And it has the best name. And like it merch, actually. I have a Murder and Mayhem sweatshirt and I wear it quite a lot. Nice. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so we are continuing with our talking about different archetypes of unlikable female characters, and the one we're going to talk about this week is the woman who won't let it go. 
I feel like I've been that woman many times. In <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is, it's kind of a broad category in a way. Like I have a bunch of different examples. I want to talk about like there's different kinds of this archetype. It's like archetypes within archetypes, I feel. What do you guys yeah, think? I think that's kind of true. Um, Wendy and I were just chatting for a second before we started recording that, that like, um, it pretty much defines like the entire genre of crime fiction with women yeah. protagonists. It's like uh, there are a lot of women who won't let it go. Like they're, they are cops, they are private investigators, they're like nosy housewives, they are all types of things. And I think it's really fun and relatable to read about those types of characters because like who, who hasn't been in a situation where you're just like, I just, I just need to know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you have other people telling you, like, there's nothing to see here. It's not yeah. a big deal. Calm down. Leave it alone. Like, right. we as women have that experience on, you know, large and small scales all the time, every All the day. time. Yeah, it, like, goes hand in hand with the idea of, like, just, you know, you're, you're, you're making things up. You are seeing things. You're getting worked up over nothing. Just settle down, little lady. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, the settle down thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking too about, so like definitely the woman who won't let it go could be a woman who's obsessively investigating something, like you Mm -hmm. said, like a cop or a private investigator or something like that. But then it can also be a woman who has a grudge against someone or a woman who is Mm, like nagging. And then I think often that first one, the woman who's obsessively investigating gets painted as one of those Mm, other two. Yes. Yeah, like she won't let it go. She's only trying to investigate it because she has a grudge because she's like a nagging bitch. Right. (laughs) Right. She just won't drop it because she's such a shrew. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Where men are like intrepid and determined. Right. They have hunches. They have theories. Like that's it's a very it's very different the way we talk about male characters who would exhibit the same types of obsessive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Even the word obsessive, I feel like there's something like there's something about just the way that we use that word that like that's not really you don't really say that men are obsessive in that way unless they're like stalkers or some shit but when they're just like kind of a dog with a bone like won't let something go yeah we don't really say they're yeah obsessed we say they're tenacious we right say, you know yeah it's, that's really fucking infuriating it and, is i'm mad now i know <laughs> at the bottom of it there's a sort of like Leave this heavy thinking to the men. That's why right. I think what's yeah. at the bottom of it is like, it's like you're getting too big for your britches. You need to know, you need to learn your place. I really think right. that's like yeah. kind of what's at the heart of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like learn your place. You need to leave the, leave the big heavy issues to the men. Don't trouble your pretty little head about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But the question Definitely. is, why don't they want us to trouble our heads about it? What is in it for them to keep us from worrying about it, you know? The power. The power and also the fact that men all have dirty, nasty secrets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so I was going to try and, like, wait till later in the episode to bring this up, but I can't (laughs) fucking do it. Okay. Can we just talk about Elizabeth Warren for, like, five minutes? Yeah, let's just, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because I feel like her, you know, what she's really known for is that nevertheless she persisted. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, like, her whole thing. And as I was taking notes on this archetype, I just kept thinking, like, this is Elizabeth Warren. And this is what is happening now is people are like, sit down, little lady. Let the men handle it. This is a two-way race between two old white men. Like, I am so (laughs) angry. We're recording this the night before Super Tuesday, by the way. Yes. 
so hopefully this content is all still relevant by the time this episode comes My out. But anger will still be relevant yes. for like ever. Yeah, that's so, a good point. That's fair. You know. Yeah. So yeah, so I guess why why is it so important that we let it go? Why is that so important? Is it just because it's over small stuff too? It's like it's like from the small to the large. It's like let it go. Don't you know about some small neighborhood thing? Let it go about some medium-sized thing and then all the way up to the presidency, you know? Right. Yeah. Let well, it go about Mike Bloomberg's NDAs. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. We will never let it go. But there's, I think there's like, it's about, you know, let it go because we don't want you asking questions, even if they're questions about something that doesn't really matter that much. Like, we don't even want you speculating. Like, we don't even want you even daring to have thoughts should just not have thoughts so if we focus on women's things right and focus on things related to children and to being beautiful and sexy for men if we focus on those things but we over focus on those there's also a lot of like wow that's pathetic you need to let it go and that can go all the way from like things i do you know which is like accidentally being patriarchal and like criticizing other moms for being too into their kids sports or whatever right like I'll make jokes about that or like we'll critique women for being too into their looks or too into the gym or too into right things that are actually women's things like they're not supposed to be that into that either that's true we're not really supposed to be that into anything not supposed to have strong opinions about anything I guess or even things that have been relegated to you right (laughs) like your own job or your own children Hmm. Interesting. I, yeah, I wonder what is really at the heart of that. It's like maybe the idea of like you're we're meant for quiet, mild pursuits only, and anything okay. that gets too fiery or intriguing or whatever, like that, that has the danger of like generating power. Yeah, but then the other mm. the thing about being too into your appearance or something is like that's painted as you're being too trivial and decorative. Got to be just decorative enough, <laughs> right? Just decorative enough. <laughs> well, Lane, I think you, me, and Hallie were talking about that the other day, where it's like you must look a certain way, but you must not appear to try to look that way. So it's like, right? Unless you're someone who's just naturally someone who can eat a lot of calories and not gain size, you're supposed to like eat something large in public and eat nothing in private so that it seems like you're that person, but you're actually start, you know what I'm saying? Like this whole dance we're supposed to do, like, you know what I mean? Like if you go on a date, you're not supposed to order cucumbers, even though that's what you might eat at home to maintain your size. You're supposed to pretend that you're that person. Like there's all of this, like caring just enough publicly public amount of caring. That's interesting because women are expected to be like empathetic and emotional and caring in that way, but we are criticized and punished for caring too much mm-hmm. about anything, really. Really about anything, because it could be about yeah. ourselves or our partners or our children or our jobs. Anything we have, if we care too much, it's a negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really true. Yeah, which brings me back to Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I just can't. I can't help myself. I'm so angry right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the criticisms that's levied against her a lot is like she's strident. She like keeps beating these points over and over. And it's like, yeah, she really fucking cares. Like she's not just in this right. to like win and be like famous. She really fucking cares. She cares. She has good ideas. She has solutions. And she's not going to let it go. 
No. And they can't stand it. And I'm not going to let it go. Every time she, like, goes down in the polls, I just, like, wear my Elizabeth Warren sweatshirt for, like, days at a time, defiantly. <laughs> like, she would want me to. Yes, she would want that. <laughs> we love you, Elizabeth. We love you. Anyway, um, so why don't we can talk about some uh, fictional examples of this, although I cannot promise that I will not continue to bring up Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> That's fair enough. I really do feel like she is a, a very good example mm-hmm. of this type of person, like inside crime fiction or outside crime fiction. Like it's the same type of demeanor and the same reaction from men. So like she's basically like the the mascot of this archetype right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> So one of my favorites, um, have you guys read The House of Sand and Fog? Years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's oh, a, it's such a good book. Yes, and there's a great movie, too, um, with Jennifer Connelly, who is, like, one of my ultimate all-time celebrity crushes. But anyway, <laughs> in, in this book slash movie, um, the main character is a woman named Kathy, who she's gone through a divorce and has been sort of like not living her best life and her house due to some tax problems like has been sort of like sold at a public auction out from under her to a family of Iranian immigrants and she is forced to like move out of her house because it's not hers anymore like she lost it she didn't pay the taxes she's got to move out and these two like this woman Kathy and this family they just they get enmeshed in this like terrible saga together uh and she's really like that she just won't let it go that this house should not have been taken from her even though it's completely her fault that it was Mm -hmm. and she just like she fucks up everyone's lives (laughs) over this and it's it's great yeah i remember like reading that and just having like even though she it is her own fault in a lot of ways you feel for everybody in that story for sure have so much empathy for everyone like it's so well constructed yes Who's the author? On um, oh, what's his name? Andre Dubus? August Dubus? Hmm. On I think it's Andre. Andre. I don't know how to say his last name. I'm an uncultured swine. It's <laughs> all good. <laughs> but I do. I love that book, and the movie was was really good as well. Yes, Andre Dubus the third. Um, but yeah, it's really very good. But that is an interesting one because I don't know what I feel like. If that book came out now, there would be all sorts of discourse about how unlikable she was. <laughs> yeah, it like came out before Twitter. So. Yeah, that's true. It's like it's like over twenty years old. So um, that is sort of like before the 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 current movement of how female characters do need to be likable. But Kathy is very unlikable. She's she's a drunk. She's a bitch. She's like just terrible she tries to commit suicide in their driveway like she's a messed up lady but she's fascinating i think yeah and i think that the as i recall I and mean, it's been forever since i read it but like the book gives her has a lot of empathy for her so you're not like the viewpoint of the book is not she's this horrible person even though like, right. she is doing a lot of horrible things yeah I, as i just meant like if it came out now there is more discourse around unlikable female characters, obviously, but then just like the general discourse of picking apart the morality of characters and books. And what did we all do before Twitter? Like, I don't even know. We got, a, little, we got a lot of stuff done. <laughs> did we? <laughs> I mean, I did. So I can't speak for you, but. <laughs> That's like, so true. Yeah. Probably did read more books and was happier. Um, it's fine. <laughs> just that. <laughs> read more books, was happier. That, that about covers it. Didn't it worry so much, like, about right. 
things I can't control because I didn't have so much information about things I can't control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's um like one other example I was going to bring up was Rachel and the girl on the train. Mm-hmm. She's like another one where oh, she's such a good one. Yeah, and she also is like genuinely unlikable, genuinely messed up, has drinking a drinking problem and like all of this um and everybody in the story is counting her out and telling her to like sit down and shut up and she doesn't know what she saw and she right. can't possibly be reliable and and she just continues like cuz she is convinced that she has some insight into this into mm-hmm. this crime and she's going to figure it out and like obviously you know not really a spoiler to say she ends up being being right, right. um <laughs> so yeah like the way this ties into the un- unreliable narrator is mm. really interesting because it's that is an experience that we have as women a lot where we are told whatever we perceive is wrong right. or like we're making it up or yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can't trust your own instincts or your own perceptions. Like you don't know what you're talking about, little lady. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's like that being gaslighted by society as yeah. a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun stuff that we deal with. I finally watched the movie Gaslight for the first time recently. Uh, oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen it before, which is kind of bizarre. It seems like something I should have <laughs> seen before, but um, yeah, it's the kind of the same thing where it's a character who is systematically taught to not trust her own perceptions and instincts and like we're all taught that as women like it takes a lot of strength to be like no i know what i saw i know what this is i know you're wrong like we're just told not to do that and then when we do do that they're like bitch let it go right (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely so um i kind of want to ask your thoughts but one thing i was thinking about a lot with this was are you guys Agatha Christie readers? I'm like a huge fan. Yeah. So there's Miss Marple, mm-hmm. the classic elderly woman who won't let it go. Right. And she's constantly sticking her nose where it doesn't belong. And they use that phrase. And then I was thinking about that in comparison to Hercule Poirot. <laughs> right. Is the brilliant detective. A brilliant detective, <laughs> but also elderly and, and eccentric. And I felt like Agatha's... She's doing some, she's saying some things here, you know, because she definitely does a very realistic treatment of each character, like how they would be treated, um, you know, by their, you know, by the people around them, you know. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really interesting point because Miss Marple is definitely like, she's like sort of treated as like, oh, you nosy old bat. But <laughs> uh, Poirot is like, he's the you know, this brilliant detective who we can bring in from wherever in the world he is off jet setting, solving crimes to solve our crime. If, if he, you know, deigns to speak with us. So it's sort of like Mm -hmm. the same qualities in both of them make him a brilliant genius and Miss Marple, just a nosy old lady. That's right. Exactly. And that's why I thought that was kind of interesting. But then they both solve the crimes, right? Yep. And no one ever, like, it's not like Miss Marple can just walk to Scotland Yard and they'll start working for her. Like, no. Faro, that's what happens, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you do this, you do that. So she's better at solving crimes than he is because she does it all on her own. <laughs> Basically. She has a nephew who works for Scotland Yard, right? He's a police constable or something. He's a detective. And, like, he he's like, what does my aunt say? Like, he'll consult her. Am I remembering that right? Um, I don't remember exactly. And, like, yeah, like she has like a, a young male family member who like is the only reason that she gets brought into anything basically, I think. 
But then she discovers a lot of her own cases. Like, there's somewhere she's on a cruise ship, which, hello, original cruise ship murder, Agatha, my queen. <laughs> Why does anyone go on cruises anymore? Like, you're just going to get murdered or get die. the coronavirus. Right. right. <laughs> At this point, like, it really seems terrible. And, like, why would you, I mean, I don't know. I went on a cruise when I was a teenager, and I was kind of like, I don't really get what the big deal is. <laughs> like, the food was good, but it was kind of like, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. But some people love them, and hopefully they won't get murdered. <laughs> hopefully not. I have not been on a cruise yet, so. <laughs> You're going to tempt fate someday and do it. <laughs> <laughs> I may. Who knows? <laughs> So another female detective who won't let it go is Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> yes, also also a, a charming, sweet little old lady who mm-hmm. just it, will not teacher. drop it. Yes, mm-hmm. and they're constantly like you meddling. Yes. So yeah, it's meddling when women do it. It's nosy, and it's kind of like, oh well, she solved a murder, so I guess that's good then. You know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the they they get the the killer found out and put away just the same, but it's like it's not even that their method for doing it is more meddlesome than Poirot's method or anything. It's just their the very fact that they are women. Yeah. They get sort of portrayed that way. Kristen, the- is this do you like think about this archetype when you're writing Roxanne Weary? Is this something that's like on your mind? Kind of how she's perceived this way or Yeah, for sure. Like uh, Roxanne is definitely the woman who won't let it go. Um, part of it is because she's a private detective, and part of it is because she's just like super nosy and obsessive, and she just can't drop things. Like it's like physically painful for her to do so. Um, and I really think that it's it's like a lot of fun to write a character like that because um, you know sometimes people, especially if she's dealing with like men in positions of authority in the various uh, cases that she investigates, like there's this perception of her as like um, she's making a mess of things, which sometimes she is, to be honest. Um, (laughs) But like she's making a mess of things. She's interfering and she should really leave the investigating to the cops. I think um, she's the daughter of a cop and she has a lot of like complicated history with cops because of that. Um, and there are some who like sort of respect that she has her father's instincts or maybe he had her instincts. It's hard to say. Um, but like this idea of her as someone who's just like constantly sort of crossing the line and that's why it's really fun to write a private investigator as opposed to writing a police officer character yeah like in the world of mystery like you can get away with much more i think um with a private detective because there are less like there are less real rules and so like her crossing lines leads to interesting developments and also a lot more attention and fun stuff I was just thinking, because we've been talking about a lot of women who are like amateur sleuths or private investigators, and then like Poirot, who's a professional detective, right? Like there's this veneer of like, it's his job as opposed to these women are just sticking their noses in. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I was thinking about another good example of this actually is, have either of you seen the new movie Birds of Prey? Yes. Mm -hmm. Rosie Perez's character, Renee Montoya, Mm -hmm. she's a detective, right? Yeah. And she... 
like figures out all of this stuff about who the villain is and what he's up to and is completely dismissed yeah. and has to go rogue basically right like, she has no choice and that the the movie even says like everybody who's ever seen a cop movie knows that no one gets anything done until the cop gets suspended and has to go yeah. out on her own like uh-huh. <laughs> yeah because she tries to like work through the system for a while and then right she's just like fuck it yeah <laughs> But then, like, ultimately what happens to her is that, like, a man takes credit for her mm-hmm. work. Like, that happens to her repeatedly. So it's, like, the the work is good. It's just daring to have a vagina while doing it is the part that's bad. Yes. That movie actually has a lot of women who won't let it go. They're, like, vengeful, obsessive. Yes. It's so good. I actually just saw it last night, and I loved it so much. <laughs> I loved it. I don't know why it wasn't doing better at the box office. Well, honestly, I like I saw a few previews for it. I'm not like a like a religious devotee to DC movies or anything, but right. the previews for it, like my perception of those previews were like, oh, that movie seems like it's going to be loud and annoying. Um, but then I wound up seeing it and it's fantastic. It's hilarious. It's badass. It's super smart. Very yeah, much into it. Like a bunch of fanboys on Twitter complaining that Margot Robbie wasn't fuckable enough for them, oh. as if Margot Robbie would even look at any of them <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in their dreams. Actual Australian goddess Margot right. Robbie. Like, come on, guys. <sighs> Men are exhausting. They really are. So um, another uh, woman who won't let it go. Um, I think we, although we've talked at length about her before Amy from Gone Girl yeah, (laughs) in that like massive grudge holding like this woman will stop Mm. at nothing she is not letting it she is not letting that go like I don't think that Amy has ever let anything go in her entire life and why should she right (laughs) but Gillian Flynn writes a lot of characters like this like one I was going to bring up is Camille from Sharp Objects Mm -hmm. who's like the investigative reporter Mm -hmm. who keeps digging and digging until she figures out what's going on you know um yeah i'm trying to, in dark places dark places I guess libby's like trying to let things go well, yeah can't. she's she's like <laughs> yeah she she's trying to let things go she like pretends that she has she's like i don't even care i'll sure i'll go to your your conference if you pay me but it's like it's this she's just the same as all these other women like she can't ultimately let it go Mm-hmm. Yeah, the revenge aspect is really interesting. Like in Gone Girl and Birds of Prey, um, basically any woman gets revenge plot, like Kill Bill, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, Anna Capon's book, Foul is Fair, that we just talked about last that's week. Right. Um, yeah, my next book that mm-hmm. Scarlet will not let anything go. She's gonna stab every last man. <laughs> yeah, you're right there with her too. You're just like, yeah, you're gonna need to do that in the meeting with the notes. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Soon I'll be able to talk about things like that freely on the podcast. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> now we just have to torture people with weird little hints like that. Right. It's the fine. notes. The notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm never letting that go. So it's fine. <laughs> Can you think of any other like revenge, good revenge examples? I feel like there are so many. Lisbeth Salander. Mm, yeah. Salander. yeah. That's true. She's like such a 
like such a complicated character to talk about because in so many ways I have such a problem with her. Me too. Oh yeah. But it's also like, um, like why exactly is it that men enjoy reading about her? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I know. I'm with you in how weird that is. I haven't actually read those books. I've only seen the movie that David Fincher directed Mm because I love David Fincher. Um, The movie was good. Yeah. Um, The books were good. I mean, they were really longer than they needed to be, but they're good. Yeah. I read the first two books and um, like, I think this, especially in the first one, like the story is like, is such a killer story. And uh, Steve Larson is a much better storyteller than a writer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the the story is great. The the writing and it could be like a, it could be a, a matter of the translation is clunky. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I just didn't really get into it and they definitely did need to be edited. But like so we have this character who's like a bisexual, possibly on the autism spectrum character who is like a vigilante slash research assistant (laughs) like she's just like all over the damn place um but she she really takes it pretty far her revenge i never understood why she's like into the whatever the character the main character is the guy that daniel craig plays yes like why would she want to fuck him i'm so confused yeah i don't know i don't i don't get it at all (laughs) <laughs> that seemed like wish fulfillment. I mean, I yeah, think that's sure. why she's so problematic is yeah. there's this, yeah, it's yeah. like she's this gritty character, but then there's this like male gazy like wish fulfillment aspect of her, which is right. like, ugh. I don't know. Well, originally I think he, that book was titled um, The Men Who Hate Women <laughs> and was inspired by a gang rape that he had witnessed in his young years that had traumatized oh. him and that like, he had never gotten over it. Which is why he wanted to write about sexual assault and like critic in a critical way toward men. I mean, that's a more legit reason for writing about sexual assault than like almost any other man yeah. has that I've ever heard. So I don't know, but yeah, like all the revenge stories, it, it is like this is the woman who won't let it go, and it's like, and why should she let it go? Like, why? <laughs> like, if, right. she, if she wants to get revenge, like, why should she let it go? Because as I talked about with Hannah on the last episode. Uh, like there's these men aren't being punished any other way, right? In a lot of cases, right? So. Women have no choice but to like take matters into their own hands if they want any sort of equalization to happen, not even justice, but like just sort of to to balance the scales a little bit. And it's asking a lot to expect someone to let it go when they've been wronged, and yeah. that's that's a pretty rich ask, fellas. Yep. <laughs> So, Wendy, I mean, this is kind of relevant to, well, it's funny. I was just going to say just to Kill Club. It's relevant to your first book, too. But then it's the man who won't let it go and no one believes him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I had a little fun with that. Yeah, because Sean is very much like he's treated like female protagonists are mm-hmm. a lot in these books. I hadn't thought of that until now. Um, that's funny. But yeah, in the Kill Club, you know, Jazz, she is told over and over and over to just like let it go or go through the system or, you know, take the yeah. legal option. And she tries, man. Like she tries everything. Yeah, I think it's clear that I had some thoughts on this, you know, because... <laughs> I, I don't know because I because as I was doing interviews for the Kill Club and like just kind of hearing listening to all the things 
you know, the thing about women is that oftentimes we do do exactly what we're supposed to do. We did go through the channels we were told to go through. We did all the prescribed things and none of it was really, like none of it worked, you know? And so we come out the other end and I think we're interested in looking at women who get like fed up past the point of no return, you know, like Amy and Gone Girl, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is really like in my next book and They Never Learn, it's the same thing where she has uh, tried some legal recourse, although not as much as, as Jazz. I feel like Scarlet goes much more to like, mm-hmm. well, that didn't work, so I'm just going to stab him. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she like tries to do things the right way in, in some ways, and then she's just fed up and she's going to take matters into her own hands. And she's like, she's killing um you know rapists and abusers but sometimes her motives are like a little pettier which was important to me i feel like <laughs> sometimes she's just like mad at a guy and wants to kill him and we've all had that experience <laughs> <laughs> like that's fair um because if it's like all the i don't know i don't like characters with pure motives all the time like yeah. i don't think that's realistic i mean that's what's interesting in kill club too wendy because like jazz is definitely a more morally upright character than anyone that i've ever written (laughs) but she has like you know she has like personal beef with her foster mother like personal reasons to want her dead beyond just like the situation in the book and that's totally understandable and relatable well i wanted a reader to be like if i were in her situation like i can see myself in this situation i didn't want to write a sociopath i wanted to write someone that was like this is a normal ass yeah. person, you know, she's like done normal, normal level mistakes, you know, like the kind of things that any of us might do in that same situation. I, I was really interested to like see, actually, I remember talking to my boss one day and something in this conversation we had really made me like understand what I wanted to do with jazz. But we were just talking about, I said, I remember telling him, I think anyone can be, can be pushed into a situation where they can do almost anything, you know? Yeah. I don't think that there's like a type of person who cheats on their spouse or a type of person who, you know, I mean, of course, there's sociopathic people who just are callous, but that's not most people. That's what 1% of the population or something, right? We may never know. We may never know. (laughs) In crime fiction, the percentage is so high. (laughs) (laughs) We're just like sociopaths everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I I love there's a, a podcast on called Cults. And it is so well produced and oh my God, but they go into the psychology of the cult leaders a lot. And they talk a lot about like, um, the causes of sociopathy and like psychopathy and different kinds and like how people can present as this, but it's really that, you know, it's really, really interesting. Hmm. Cults. Sounds very relevant to all of our interests. It is very, very relevant. (laughs) I love that you just like chill and listen to podcasts about cults. I would expect no less. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to listen to something while I'm driving to work. What am I going to listen to? Something like peaceful mindfulness? Come on. <laughs> I just listen to podcasts about productivity while I'm doing nothing. That's <laughs> my <goal. laughs> Oh god. That's my life. <laughs> the other day I like I was listening I had I listened to like this anxiety thing. It's like a mantra thing or whatever. It's like positive affirmations. And I turned off, I was like, oh, I'm so bored with this. I turned it off to listen to cults. 
<laughs> How did you? Did that help your anxiety? Learning no. about cults? Surprisingly. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.